0: on life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. This last week, the i newspaper reported a story about Mike Fleming. Mike is a pastor who campaigns for better support for men affected by sexual assault. He's the founder of the charity Church on the Street. And the author of the book, Blown Away from Drug Dealer to Life Bringer. His work is fueled by his own experience of pain and forgiveness. Three decades after Mike Fleming was raped on the way to school, he saw his attacker in McDonald's. He bought him a burger and arranged to meet him the day after to help with his alcoholism. It was part of the fantasy he'd created in his head through years of trauma. He planned to kill him. When he turned up to the cafe they'd agreed on the next day, Mike had a knife in one sock and one up his sleeve. This man was going to die in front of everybody, he said. But the story didn't end with a murder that day. In fact, Mike didn't even tell him that he was the same boy he'd attacked over 30 years ago when Mike was aged just 11 Instead, he helped the man who'd raped him sort his life out. Mike says, I always thought forgiveness meant putting my arm around someone and saying, there, there, but it meant not living in his sin. That's between him and God. The sin isn't mine. It doesn't belong to me. Those newfound feelings of forgiveness were new to Fleming, who is now 52, who throughout his teens and adult life was a gangster. On two occasions, he was arrested for possession of a firearm and attempted murder, and he rarely left the house without a bottle of vodka, a gun and a knife. Out of fear and shame, Mike kept the attack in his childhood a secret, relying on drugs and alcohol to block out the trauma. This man told me that he'd killed my mum and dad if I ever told anyone. It was so strange what happened to me. It affected my eyesight. I couldn't see. It must have been the trauma. I couldn't see in colour. I could only see in black and white after the attack. So he never told his parents. Mike says, I carried this pain and it turned to resentment and anger. But that changed when Mike turned 42. He said he'd gone to collect a debt with a gun and a guy came out of the gym. He had two little girls with him, but I didn't care that they were there. I wouldn't hurt them, but I didn't care about them seeing me hurt their dad. My heart was so hard and I was too bitter. He grabbed their hands and walked towards me and something hit me. It was like a light shining from their hands. I drank from my bottle of vodka, but it didn't do anything. I had some crack, but it didn't work. I didn't get the initial piece from the first time in my life. I didn't get anything from the drink or the drugs." With his only outlet now not working, Mike drove to an industrial estate and tried unsuccessfully to take his own life. He says, "'I cried, and it was the first time I'd cried since I was a scared little boy that day.'" He was arrested afterwards and taken to a psychiatric ward where he stayed for four months. He says, "'I met someone in there who'd been sexually abused, and they told me about it, and I'd I'd never ever heard anyone say it before.'" I didn't feel alone anymore, and that was the beginning of me getting free. Mike got sober and now dedicates his life to helping other victims of abuse. He's now a pastor and a university graduate, founding Church on the Street, a charity supported by Prince William, and he travels to prisons, churches and rehabilitation centres sharing his story. Mike's story is one of remarkable forgiveness. And so let's continue to consider that truth, forgiving, tonight here on Lucas on Life. It was the day that I witnessed some tragic Bible bashing America had been gripped by the trial of serial killer Dennis Rader, who tortured and murdered 10 victims over a 30-year period. Monster is an overused word in criminal cases, but this chilling man fitted the bill. He was sentenced to 145 years in prison, and he will not be eligible for parole for 40 years or so. What compounds the tragedy is that he described himself as a Christian and was a president of a Lutheran congregation. In a rambling statement in court, he quoted from the Bible, read a few lines from a daily devotional book, and then suggested that his three-decade killing spree was inspired by demons. He thanked his defense team with the gushing gratitude of an Oscar winner. But not once did he ever pause to make a serious, considered apology to the relatives of his victims. The best he could manage was, well, as for remorse, well, that's obvious. But it wasn't. Sorry would have been a small but welcome start. The American court system permits the relatives of victims to make a statement at sentence hearings. 15 individuals decided to speak up. This trial was being held in America's Bible Belt, so most of those who spoke were professing Christians and in most cases their hatred for raider was palpable. Through gritted teeth they told him that he would burn in hell forever. Some were obviously thrilled at the prospect. The most vitriolic statement came from a man who had written a Christian book on suffering. He rained down insults on the killer of his mother with glee and pronounced yet another you'll roast forever without possibility of parole sentence. There was something obscene about the relish with which he spoke the words, his face twisted with rage. For a second, it seemed like there was more than one monster in the courtroom. Hell will freeze over before I forgive, he told reporters later. Now, let me be really clear. I don't want to judge the relatives of those victims for one moment because we cannot imagine their agony or begin to fathom the depths of their grief. As I listened to the grisly catalogue of crimes, I found myself shouting at the TV. Raider is certainly a loathsome specimen, and I have no idea how I would react if he had snuffed out the life of my son or daughter. I might join those baying for his barbecuing. None of us know how we would respond if tested, and we all fervently pray that we will never sit that particular examination. But tragedy begets tragedy. And that event lacked all hope, because not one of these professed followers of Christ, perpetrator or victims, could begin to find grace to seek or offer the beginnings of forgiveness. Justice must be done, and Rader must never see the light of day in a community again. But again, Both the condemned and the condemners slopped around in the same sad pool of sin, and the Bible was used by both sides, as it has been so many times throughout history, like a clumsily swung sword, slicing not only those in the actual courtroom, but anyone who watched the proceedings on TV. The Bible is a dangerous weapon in the wrong hands. I couldn't help wondering if the victims' families were committing themselves to ongoing life sentences behind the invisible yet nonetheless iron bars of bitterness. Rage is not a laser-focused missile. It blows up in our own faces. The first person to benefit from forgiving is the forgiver. It is not only an act of stunning generosity that extends to others, but a canny strategy for self-preservation. Forgiveness literally is the gift that keeps on giving, most of all to the one who gives it away. So, tonight I'm profoundly challenged, not only about my own capacity or limitations to bestow forgiveness, but also the way in which I use Scripture. Truth sometimes hurts, but am I occasionally hurtful in the way that I share it? Too many Christians have sliced and diced each other in the name of Christ. We can be so intent on applying the serrated edge of scripture that we forget that the truth without love is no truth at all. And hell, whatever that is, will not freeze over. But heaven still stands on tiptoe, waiting in hopeful anticipation for the walking wounded ones who limp on still-blooded, yet refusing to resort to biblical bludgeoning and beginning the difficult journey of forgiving. We, the forgiven, need to walk the pathway of learning, perhaps slowly, how to forgive. Scripture tells us, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive! as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity." Forgiveness, it's what we're called to pass around, but it can be so difficult. Elizabeth O'Connor said, despite a hundred sermons on forgiveness, we do not forgive easily, nor do we find ourselves easily forgiven. Forgiveness is always harder. Than the sermons make it out to be it was cs lewis who says everyone it was cs lewis who said everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive and that's why i believe it can be so inspiring when we hear these awesome stories these examples of magnificent forgiving I witnessed one of those episodes when visiting the optician recently. Visiting the optician it's, it's much more fun than going to the dentist, but only just. With the optician, I don't have to look into the wildly staring eyes of a masked man whose mission in life is to shove 40 pounds of stainless steel equipment into my mouth. But there are bits of the annual optician's eye test that I don't enjoy. For one thing, these days they shoot you in the eyes, twice. Now, admittedly, it's only a puff of air fired at high speed, but I do have to place my chin on what looks like an instrument of high-tech torture for that shooting. No one likes this part, smiles the optician, as if this is supposed to make me feel better. It's painless enough, but it still always makes me jump. Asking for a piece of wood to chew on during the test seems very pathetic, but I do like the part that follows the shooting, and that's choosing new glasses. If I had the cash, I could be to specs what Imelda Marcos used to be to shoes. And so it was with mixed feelings that I went to the opticians for that visit. There was no sign on the door that warned me that my day, and in a way, my life was about to change. Junction moments don't come with advance notice. Within moments, I was chatting to Gary, the store manager. He sported a broad, genuine smile and made conversation that went beyond slick sales patter. Inwardly, I made a note to myself. Gary was likeable. Talking with him was a pleasure. Our nattering about optic fields of vision and designer frames gradually dried up. I asked him how he got into the eyesight business. He paused for a moment, seemingly weighing up whether or not to get into his story. Married with two adult sons, Gary had been a high school teacher and a sports coach. His eldest son, also his best friend, was a keen cyclist. An oncoming driver had fallen asleep at the wheel and plowed into his son, killing him instantly. Gary had abandoned his teaching career and relocated to Colorado with his wife to be with his younger son. He'd taken a job in an optician's clinic. This was impressive parenting but there was much more to come. News of remarkable forgiveness. Gary went on to tell me how he'd gone to the trial of that slumbering driver, a young man of about the same age as his dead son. He'd pleaded for leniency with the judge. Everyone makes mistakes, Gary said. No drugs or alcohol were involved. Ruing that young driver's life wouldn't bring his son back. The judge, stunned, had been lenient. But then Gary told me how he and his wife had befriended the driver. Not only had they forgiven him, but the two families had become close. And now he talked with obvious pride about the man who had killed his beloved boy. He's going into the Air Force and training to be a pilot. He'd been genuinely delighted. I struggled unsuccessfully to keep tears back. I wanted to know his secret. How does someone forgive so magnificently? It's my faith, he smiled. Gary follows Jesus. Without any threat or clumsiness, he asked me if I was a follower of Jesus too. Grace shone through that day, not just in the details of Gary's story, but also in the way he told it. There was no overplay, no sensationalism, just a matter-of-fact miracle. And he didn't attempt to gloss over his pain. I still cry every day, he smiled, blinking rapidly perhaps preventing more weeping. Heroes make hard choices. They cry, but refuse to allow their tears to blind them. They refuse to stop loving. They don't give up on giving and won't let their lives be preoccupied with their own pain. And in giving grace, they find an endless supply of it. The oil doesn't run dry. Thanks, Gary. I met you because I needed a shot in the eye and some new lenses. But since bumping into you, I see things, life, forgiving, much more clearly. Thanks so much for joining me tonight. If you would like to hear more about the ministry of Pastor Mike Fleming, you can go to cots-ministries.com. .co.uk. I'll repeat that in a moment. And it might be that you'd like to speak to someone about issues that have been raised during tonight's program. You can call the Premier Lifeline Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on 0300 111 0101. That's 0300 111 And for the ministry of Mike Fleming, the Church on the Street charity, cots, that's C-O-T-S, dash ministries.co.uk. See you next week. Lucas on life. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. At a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic Manor House has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures. Connect with students from around the world and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.